You're listening to a podcast from The Stage, the world's oldest and best theatre publication, thestage.co.uk. Hello, something extraordinary has happened. The sun has come out for two days straight. It's been blazing and bright and people have even been wearing shorts without that tragic sense of optimism that usually accompanies them in Edinburgh. Still, there's rain forecast tomorrow. Now, a couple of things before diving into our interview with Rashdash. First, thanks to our sponsors, Mobius, for supporting us. And second, thanks to you for listening to these podcasts. And don't forget, you can listen to them on iTunes as well as on thestage.co.uk. Now, in a few minutes, stage critic Paul Vale will give his fringe recommendations. But first, let's talk about gender. So Helen Golan and Abby Greenland make up performance duo Rash Dash. Their latest piece, Two Man Show, deconstructs gender and patriarchy. Now that might sound very heavy, but it's a joy to watch, starting with a history lesson told through voice-changing microphones, moving on to a kind of drama between two brothers looking after their dying father, and finishing with a strange meta-theatrical scene which questions everything that's come before. And there's even live music too. So I started by asking Abby how she would describe the show. It's called Two Man Show, and you, you play men in it, so there's um, long sections where you're playing brothers. Do you think the show says more about men and masculinity, or femininity, or patriarchy, or gender as a whole, or are you deliberately sitting somewhere in the middle? It feels like it's about gender, because mm-hmm. it goes through the whole play exploring masculinity within the frame of men and masculinity, and then right at the end we deviate off and it becomes about my masculinity and Helen's femininity and what that means about how we are women and how we are feminists. So it was really important for us to make a show about men, but it was also really important as we were doing the research and as we were really investigating what masculinity is or what we've decided it means, that I recognised so much of myself in what we were calling masculine. And I thought, oh God, this is really important that we acknowledge that element of it as well, which is why the show really takes that turn towards the end. And it feels like patriarchy is the context for all of this Mm. because that's the way in which we view these really small and, well, damaging gender stereotypes. And that's why we give that context at the beginning, which, for those people that haven't seen it, is the history of patriarchy and how that began. And it's interesting that that first section as well is sort of got this humorous element to it as well because you're dressed in these brilliant silver (laughs) kind of dresses and you've got the kind of squeaky voice on the microphone and stuff. So is is humour an important part of that for you? Yeah, I think if you're ever going to put on a flyer this is about masculinity, patriarchy and language, you have to come with a certain amount of playfulness in order for it not to be an academic bombardment or telling people what to think neither of which we want it to be you know we've done a lot of research and there is a lot of kind of quite deep thought in there but we don't want that to be the thing that people go away with it wants to be an emotional exciting playful experience yeah Yeah. and it helps to make things more digestible I think as well Um, because we had a version of that speech in rehearsal that was more straight down the line but finding a more playful tone felt really important just to help people really hear it yeah. Just mentioning so, you know, this kind of third section of the show, which is really questioning and, and sort of begins to deconstruct a lot of what's come before. Did that come about because you're like, I can only really talk about my own experience or, or do you want to talk about like the, the male experience as well? I mean, how, how much do you think men can talk about women's experiences and what women can talk about men's experiences? Uh, how to, which angle to comment that from? I feel like we are 
a really anti-patriarchy company and we wanted to question that and it feels like the only way that we can actually take that on is together and so we wanted to make a show that felt like we were saying okay we're in a pickle um, but patriarchy is really bad for everyone so patriarchy is very obviously bad for women in lots of ways but lots of invisible ways it's really bad for men as well so yes we wanted to talk about the male experience and we wanted it to be an empathetic look at you know two very specific men there's no way that we're saying this is the male experience these are two men that we've tried to draw full of empathy but yeah we wanted masculinity to become more about just men because it is like masculinity and femininity are in all of us and that felt so important yeah they are very specific characters but it's strange how similar it was with the way i talked to my brothers <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. yeah yeah it was it was really strange i mean like I, I'm not like either of those characters at yeah, all, and yeah. nor are my brothers, but there's so many similarities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was really hard for us to get that. We've had lots of people come in during the process, and people encouraging us to be um, very front-footed and very hard with our attack on each other. So even once we had the text and we were happy with where that was going, actually just delivering it with the kind of attack that lots of men were encouraging us to attack it with was so hard as women to go, God, this feels really, really full on. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then also, after that first sort of the history of the rise of patriarchy mm-hmm. um, very quickly you get naked nudity is an interesting thing there's often a lot more of it at the fringe than kind of mm. in the theatre ecology the rest of the year what can nudity do for a show you know what's your kind of thinking of putting that in there mm. well it came out of um the devising process sort of in the first proper week where we were playing around with choreography and with images and we were exploring real extremes of masculinity and the kind of like bodybuilder type wrestler figures. Yeah, we were experimenting with that physically and realised that we could sort of transcend gender if we, if we were topless. We could look much more like men or much more androgynous. And then it just became part of our experimentation. Yeah. And, then, and the body just felt so important to explore. And those statues were something that we felt was a really successful way of exploring how gender is constructed. Um, So there's a section in the show where Abby moves me into different positions. Some of them are very feminine and some of them are very masculine and some of them are taken from real statues Mm. that you recognise. So that is an entirely different thing. Seeing that naked and seeing that clothed is entirely different and you can't really get the full sense of it unless... I'm naked at the time. Yeah, and it's interesting that you're saying as well that when you're playing the brothers, just standing there just in boxes is more masculine or at least more androgynous because that's really true. And you do forget that it's two women standing mm. there. It's, really, it's counterintuitive, but mm. really interesting how your mind kind of yeah. works that way. Do you get nervous about being naked on stage? I, I don't, actually. We did a lot in early rehearsals when we were playing with being naked of going, okay, imagine if we were naked, we'll, we'll just rehearse naked. Well, we, we probably won't be naked, but let's just explore it naked because it feels right at this time. And then as it became clearer and clearer that actually it was the right decision, we started spending a lot of rehearsals naked and warming up naked. So now it has got to the point where I feel very free and lovely being naked. So it doesn't... It doesn't actually feel weird. And the other thing is that the room is very warm. So I think that most people in that room wish they were naked. Yeah, like, that's we true. <laughs> yeah. And also I think it's funny how when we first started discussing it, it felt like it would be a massive deal. 
But actually, the feedback that we got from doing the show in previews and now doing the show now is it's sort of, it's just a part of it and it's actually quite fleeting and it's kind of interesting, but it's not the thing that people come away from going, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Right, because the, the initial impact of it, I mean, you, you deliberately make it quite in your face. Um, mm. But actually, that wears off really quickly. Yeah. And it just becomes a part of what the show is and what the show needs to be, it seems. Yeah. And it seems to be a much more... Like, the nudity in this show seems to be much more integral than you see in a lot of shows mm. up at the Fringe, particularly. Well, it was funny, because a lot of people, when we talk about being naked, they said, well, if your character would be naked, then you should be mm. naked. And we were saying, well, it's not actually a character-motivated thing, because when we're naked there isn't necessarily a really clear character and we are kind of ourselves. So yeah. it it definitely came from the fact that we wanted to explore bodies mm-hmm. in their kind of essential form instead mm-hmm. of, yeah, a character-motivated thing. And it also feels like because we've been kind of deconstructing a lot of ideas and concepts that we take for granted, in a way clothes is another one of mm-hmm. those. Yeah. And the kind of the arbitrary choices we make about clothes the choice that we make to wear clothes in the first place, it's just another thing that humans decided at one point in history. So you, as a company, you started at the fringe, is that right? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, so, you know, a few years down the line, why do you continue to take work up here? What, what can it offer a company that's now really well established? We wanted to come back because there's an audience that we reach at the fringe that I don't think we reach in other places. And also being in this context feels really important in and among these artists making this kind of work at the fringe. Um, Part of me does question it because I I left a note to myself on my phone the other day reminding me so that in the future I can remember because I always forget this stuff that um, at the fringe I'm almost constantly on the verge of tears because it's so exhausting and it's so overwhelming and I go to other people's shows and just cry through their shows at the amazing energy that everyone is bringing and offering. (laughs) So... It, being part of that, although it is overwhelming, is a really incredible experience as performers. And, you know, people get to see your show that don't get to see your show if you're doing uh, a national tour. So it does feel really important to keep getting new eyes on the work. And there's nothing like it, really. Despite its intensity, it's also brilliant. And that's why everyone does it. Mm. You know, it's great. It's yeah. great fun for us. And we've not done it for a few years, which felt like the right thing to do. But when the opportunity came up to do it and we had the right show, it was kind of like, yeah, why, why not? Have you found that you've got back into the, the rhythm of it quickly or has it been a sort of... I'm just, because we haven't been here since 2012, I'm just finding my feet with it. So we've yeah. done six shows now and I'm going, okay, I feel like I've kind of got a sense of what this is and I can... I can keep hold of my idea of what the show is yeah. <laughs> in and amongst yeah. it being pulled in all these different which directions. Which is so important. And I think which happens no matter where you're doing a run, but there's yeah. something a bit more kind of potent about it at the Fringe because there's so much else going on. That was Abby Greenland and Helen Golan. And Two Man Show is on at Summerhall at 8.15. Now, the stage's critical team has been working flat out to review as much as possible at the Fringe, but I stole a moment with Paul Vale between shows to get his top tips. Paul, how's your fringe going so far? It's going fantastically. You're yes, not really too exhausted. Really. Oh, not at all, not at all. <laughs> no, no, running around. I, so you were saying earlier, this is meant to be your day off, uh, which actually involves seeing three shows. Yes, <laughs> yes. So it's kind of a day off, really. Yeah. You know, I'm only seeing three shows. So what's your top recommendation from The Fringe so far? My top recommendation so far is Foiled. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Foiled. Foiled is a very sweet 
very funny story set in a hairdresser's. It's a site-specific piece. Okay. Uh, so it's actually set in Ruby Rouge hairdressers on Clark Street. Great, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's a, a it's, uh, it's part of the free festival, so there's a bunch of people crammed into a hairdresser's or watch this story unfold set in a hairdresser's as the, the world passes by outside. It's very, very funny, and there's some really good writing and really good performances in it. So foiled. That, so that's on at the Ruby Rouge. Yep, seven, seven o'clock, I think. Seven o'clock, seven yes, o'clock. the Ruby Rouge. So is it a play? It is a play, yes. It's about uh, hairdressers in Cardiff, actually. Okay. It's about a, a hairdresser, a young hairdresser, who is quite upwardly uh, mobile. She wants to move forward, but her boss is extremely lazy and hates customers. And she doesn't feel she's ever going to get out of this rut of getting out of the hairdressers. And it's the, and then suddenly uh, a guy turns up to, with a group on voucher and he wants his hair cut and he has no hair. So a whole <laughs> story unfolds around that. Okay. He's actually an actor. He's in a production, so they start creating this wig for him to wear. It's all very, very silly. <laughs> that sounds great. Okay, Tim, what's uh, your favourite show so far? Well, I finally saw a what I would consider a five-star show the other day, which is called On the Conditions and Possibilities of Hillary Clinton Taking Me as Her Young Lover. Uh, And it happened to be a day in which I saw several shows which had really, really long titles, but this was the best one. And it's by a New Zealand artist called Arthur Meek. And he plays as a kind of conceited young right-wing-ish persona called Richard Meros BA and he puts BA after everything and he's delivering a lecture rationalizing to the audience why Hillary Clinton should take him as her as her lover um, but it's a fantastic bit of writing and it's a really sharp satire on generations essentially on Hillary Clinton's generation kind of baby boomers and on you know what are called millennials it's about the differences and values between those two generations and the way that he works it into the script is brilliant because it's full of kind of wordplay but it's full of references to both kind of high culture and low culture if you accept those divisions so it's got a reference to Taylor Swift and Immanuel Kant in the same breath. And he's a really charismatic performer and it's just a really silly but, but political sharp piece of satire. So I really enjoyed that. So any other shows? That any other really... shows? Well, it's difficult really because I'm, I'm going around... I mean, one of the things that I'm doing up here is seeing lots of... Oh, as much cabaret and musicals as I can. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do enjoy uh, a musical. And one of the shows I found most interesting was Royal Vauxhall. Mm. Now, I went to see that, and something was awry. Okay. And I couldn't quite work it out. It took me a while to work it out. I saw a show with some really, really good original songs in that had that thing whereby they immediately suggest a Queen number and Freddie Mercury, the character of Freddie Mercury, singing it, and yet it's not, and it does it so well. You think, are they just going to set this to the tune of? But it doesn't. It goes somewhere else, and it's... The songs are really good. The performances are great. They okay. are really, really good. You've got Sarah Louise Young, Matthew from Frisky Manish, and Des O'Connor, who, who wrote it, playing Freddie Mercury. And really good performances. Great book, snappy dialogue, mm-hmm. but something's wrong with it. Okay. Try, I was trying desperately to work out what was wrong with it. Right. And the, the, one of the good things about... Well, two of the good things I like about Edinburgh and seeing new musicals, any new musical on the fringe is, if it's on the fringe, if it's being done on the fringe, 
it isn't finished yet. Mm. There's room to go further. There's room for development. Mm. And I think this show has somewhere to go. I think there's a job to do on Royal Vauxhall. And it needs, oddly, it needs to be bigger and it needs more people in. But there are a couple of key points that are, I think, now that needs working, that needs working. But otherwise, this is a really exciting project. Well, I saw one that, similarly, the songwriter, it was called Paper Hearts. And similarly, the songwriter clearly is a good composer. Unfortunately, he was the lyricist as well. And the lyrics were really awful. But... It is just that thing of you can sense that there's a really talented songwriter in there. Um, and the book is fine. It's a bit twee, quite sweet. Um, really good performances. And they're constrained, not their fault, by a really tiny stage. But there's some really good bits of songwriting in there, which is quite exciting. What I say to any anyone bringing their musical up to Edinburgh and performing in Edinburgh is this is the obvious and ideal place to go window shopping for a collaborator. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go go around and look around for, for somebody's work who you like because they might be able to write your book. Yeah. Would you like to collaborate? Because this is the place for it, yeah. like no other. That was Paul Vale, and that's it for now. On Monday, comedian and activist Mark Thomas talks about The Red Shed. It's a fantastic interview. Thanks for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>